before you. We're so grateful for the opportunity to just look into your word because we believe that even though it was written a long time ago, it's totally relevant today. And so as we're invited to do in your word, we just invite you to speak into our life now through it. We pray that by your spirit, we would hear a message that's just very personalized for each of us based on the same text. And so we pray this and ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we're in this little series of messages now called Five Words. Five words that will change your life. And last last week we looked at the first word, which is the word no. And it's such an important word because it helps put appropriate boundaries in our life. It brings freedom and liberty into our life. And God wants us to use that word no when we should or certainly when we ought to. And that becomes very clear to us when we should use that word, when we understand who we are and what our mission or what we're called to do in life is. And when we understand those ideas about who God made us to be, we get very clear about what we should say no to. And we said last week that the reason or the motive behind this word no is not for selfish reasons or self-centered reasons, but rather so that we can make space for God. And this is at the heart of these five individual words we're going to look at for these five weeks, in order that we might make space for God in our life. And so today's word, last week was the word no, and today's word is the word yes. And we do this word yes in order to make space for God. You know, I was thinking about it when we love somebody... We want to say yes to them, don't we? You think about a parent-child relationship. When a parent-child relationship is working the way it's supposed to work, when a child comes to the parent, the parent desperately wants to say yes to that child. Now, if you're a good parent, there's times when you're going to need to say no and you ought to say no. But in your heart, when you love your child, you want to be able to say yes to them. If a dear friend comes to us and wants to spend time with us, friends love to say yes to spending time with their friends. But every time we come across people, we tend to have either a yes or a no attitude in our heart towards them. And when someone has a yes attitude in their heart towards us, they love to encourage us. They believe in us. They want us to excel in life. I find that they assume the best about us. That even when they have to come alongside us and and confront us perhaps or correct us because we're off track, we know that their motivation is right. And so we kind of, in a certain sense, welcome what they have to say. But on the other hand, there's people sometimes in our life who have a real no in their heart to us. And they have a way of wounding us. They have a way of criticizing us. They have a way of just projecting that they desperately want to rain on our parade. And this yes or no, we all communicate it to one another. Think about about when you're driving and you want to change lanes 
and you can't talk to the person that's in the lane where you want to go, but you look over towards them, and they just through the, through the window, you just communicate a yes or a no. Are they going to let you in? So let me ask you this. Do you think God has a yes in his heart towards you? Or does he have a no in his heart towards you? And it's a fundamental question because some people view God as this being that's wagging his finger at them, just waiting to be disappointed in me or in you, waiting with a big yardstick or a meter stick, just waiting to slap us when we step out of line. And some of us think about God in those terms. But I want to, just from the word of God, show you actually what his heart attitude towards us is. And so listen to the picture that Paul paints for us. And Paul is this guy that is like the chief architect of the New Testament church. And he wrote most of the New Testament. And one of the groups that he wrote to was a church in a place called Corinth. And he writes a letter to them, and it's kind, of a, it's kind of a tough letter because they've gone off the rails in a number of ways as a church group. And he writes them in 1 Corinthians 1, the first letter to this church, a quite a strongly worded letter. And in the end of that book, in chapter 16, he says, I'm going to follow up my letter, which they would have read numerous times, with a personal visit. And he says this in chapter 16. But then some things happen and he isn't able to go right away. And they are sort of wondering if Paul is fickle in his relationship with them. And they're asking, openly asking the questions, is, a, is Paul a yes kind of guy towards us? Or has he got a no attitude in his heart towards us? And Paul responds to them in his second letter by saying, listen, my heart towards you is grounded in the very character and nature of God. This is the way I'm oriented towards you, just like the very heart and character and nature of God. And so listen to what God says to us, and he compares his relationship with them to how God views them and how he views them. Listen to what God says to us about what his heart really is. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. It's about a third of the way through the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 15 through verse 22. And we're going to see the heart of God for you. It's a pretty cool passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. And I just remind you as I do that this is the word of the Lord. Because I was confident of this, I planned, so Paul's writing, and he says, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to come visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or did I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I might say, yes, yes, and no, no. See, they're accusing him of being fickle. No, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. Always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us both, both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing what is to come. You know, different people have com- counted how many different promises there are from God in the 66 books of the Bible. And they come up with slightly different numbers, a very small range, because sometimes they interpret it one promise different than the other. But one guy came up with this number, 7,457 promises from God. And in this passage, Paul says, of those 7,457 promises, it's not that God comes through on some of them, It's not that God comes through on most of them, but actually God comes through on absolutely every one of them in Christ Jesus. That God actually, contrary to what people sometimes think about God, God has a yes in his heart towards you. And so when you say, God, will you save me? He says a resounding yes. When we say, God, will you forgive me? He says, yes. When he says, when we say, God, will you cleanse me? He says, yes. When we say, God, will you give me a fresh start and a new start? Will you, in fact, make me a new creation in Jesus? The Bible and God says, yes. God, will you give me guidance in life because I need it? Yes. God, will you give me wisdom because I'm not really sure what to do next? The Bible says, God says, yes. God, will you give me the ability to forgive that person and triumph over the bitterness and resentment I have towards them? Yes. God, will you be with me every day of my life? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. It's not just that we begin a relationship with God when we enter into a relationship with him through Jesus. He actually walks with us each day of our life. God, after I die, will you resurrect me and allow me to be with you in heaven forever, for eternity? Yes. In fact, Paul says, every one of God's promises are yes in Jesus. You know, we at times will sing this old, old song. It's an old hymn called Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. And the idea behind that hymn is that we all stand on something in life. Every one of us has something that we're trusting in. And so some of us trust in our own self-sufficiency, and that's, that's what many people trust in in our culture. Some people think, if I can just get enough money, I can trust in that. Some people say, if I can just develop enough intellectual capacity and, and real-time skills, I can trust in those things. Some people think, if I just have a positive mental attitude, I can trust absolutely in that. And it's not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but they're limited. And as helpful as they can be, when something really, really bad happens, 
A positive mental attitude can help, but it doesn't allow us to overcome the difficulty of that situation. And so Paul is writing and he's saying, listen, I'm a guy who suffered incredible suffering. If you know anything about his story, he suffered on a monumental scale. He suffered deprivation over and over again. He went without food. He was pushed around simply because he was a follower of Jesus. He suffered disappointment after disappointment. He was often thrown in jail, again, not because he'd done anything illegal, but simply because he'd follow, he was a follower of Jesus. He anticipated and one day actually experienced in the city of Rome martyrdom. And so he had some difficult, difficult things in life. And yet he discovered that in all of this, God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And he was able to overcome. You know, there's actually two yeses in this, pro in this passage of Scripture. The first one we read about there in the first half of verse 20. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. But then the second yes comes, and it's this. And so through him, the amen is spoken. What does the word amen mean? Amen is like the word yes on steroids. That was especially how they would have seen it in that culture. Amen is like the word yes on steroids. It means I wholeheartedly agree. It means I'm completely down with this. I'm completely in on this. Dallas Willard in writing about this said you could actually, uh, from the Greek, you could translate that word. Now, he, he was kind of had his tongue in his cheek a little bit, but it, he's trying to make a point. You could translate this word with the word whoopee because it means I'm absolutely in on whatever it is I'm saying amen to. What I want to do for the next just few minutes is just walk you through some ways to do this, to practically say amen in response to God and his promises to us, to make space for God in how we live our life in light of the fact that God's yes for us in Christ is always there and always available. And so if you read this book, you see one of the big ideas, one of the meta-narratives, the big storylines in this book is that God is deeply concerned with people. And he loves us, and he's offered this, as I just said, this overwhelming yes to us that's, that's just transformational on a very personal level. But then issuing forth from that, he wants us to be a conduit of his yes to other people. You know, something I'm just discovering, I'm getting pretty old now, but as I'm discovering more and more and more, there's no such thing as a neutral encounter with another human being. But it's very clear in the book that there isn't a person that I lock eyes with that doesn't matter deeply to God that he cares about. And so I just want to share some very, very simple things. But these simple things, when you say, Jesus, would you do these things through me? You begin, and I begin in an increasing way to make space for God in my life. And so the first one is just simply the yes of goodwill. 
Now, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this in chapter 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And so there's no neutrality, he's saying. We're either building someone up or gently or perhaps even aggressively sort of tearing them down with our words and our facial features and our body language. Most years, there's an older retired couple who are based out in BC that come to visit this church around this time of year. They come almost every year. And Arnold and Joan are my former boss. So they were what's called the district superintendent, the person that's in charge of all the churches and all the pastors who are a part of the country. And so when I first began in ministry, it was in Saskatchewan. And Arnold Downey was my district superintendent. And when I was 22 years of age, Debbie and I, he gave us our first church. And we were all alone in Little Cornac, Saskatchewan. Some of you know that story. And then after a few years where he was there, he moved out to Alberta and took over this district, which is the largest grouping of churches in all of Canada. And 22 years ago, uh, he picked up the phone and encouraged us to consider moving here as we talked with the leadership in this church as well. And now they're around 80 years of age. And every summer, they get in their fifth wheel and they drive around in Saskatchewan and Alberta and they visit churches of pastors that they have mentored over the years. And they have gone out of their way to come and encourage and bless people like Debbie and I over and over and over again. And whenever they come, they just show up on a Sunday. And usually they have us over for dinner or we bring them to our place for a period of time. And there have been so many times uh, where they've just stepped into our life and blessed us and encouraged us. And we always look forward to time with them. You know, there's times where he's gotten after me because I deeply needed to be gotten after and corrected. But it's not so harsh, even though he's an incredibly straight shooter, because I know his heart is aligned with ours, he and Joan both. And so you receive that from someone that loves you and cares for you. There's a number of people in this church like that. We appreciate you so much. I know they have the yes of God's will toward them. You know, everyone in this room have people in our life who we work with, who are our neighbors or a family member or whatever the case is. And as we see them, we know perhaps at some point in their life there's something going on in their life. They're discouraged, whatever the case is. I know for a fact that everyone in this room has a story. It's one of the things God's deeply impressed me with over the years. And we can choose to be God's yes in that person's life. We can come alongside them. We can encourage them. We can go out of our way to be there for them. We can challenge them when they need it. We can listen. 
we can pray, we can care. And we can be the person that looks them in the eye and makes a difference in their life. That's the yes of God's good will. And when we do that, we're making space for God to work in our life. Then there's the yes of acknowledging people. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 16, last last chapter of the letter to the church at Rome. And he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, this is a cultural moment. And in still, still in parts of the world, uh, you greet one another with a kiss, perhaps on each cheek or this, this and back and forth. And so that's still dumb in parts of the world. Here, we typically give people a hug or shake their hands or just nod and say, how are you doing? Stuff like that. The idea, the bigger idea here from Paul is that of acknowledging somebody. And it's interesting to me when I read chapter 16, he doesn't say pass on my greetings to the church in Rome. No, he says greet one another, acknowledge one another. And as we're doing life, as we're walking along, as we bump into people, Paul's invitation is to acknowledge people. Thursday night, I was... uh, you know, it was like 6 o'clock or something, and I was leaving the church. And uh, as I came out the front door, there was a guy in a wheelchair across the parking lot, quite a ways away. And as the door closed, he was looking in the other direction. He was just sitting there. And as the door closed, he heard the noise, and so he turned and looked at me. And I just smiled at him, and I waved. I didn't know who he was. And he smiled back, and he waved back to me. And it was just a very simple greeting. But really, when we do things like that, we're saying to that person, I welcome you into my life. That's a yes. Or we can take the approach of an increasingly cold world, which is to avoid contact which is to never lock eyes with people, which is to bury our face in our electronic device. And Paul is just saying there's something very simple but very powerful about being yes to people. And that's the Jesus way, to acknowledge not just our friends, but the people that nobody else acknowledges. Then there's the yes of of making way. The yes of making way. It says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so Paul is just saying now to the church of Philippi, he says, when we interact with people, we all have that moment where we can have this demeanor. You go first. You go first. This is simple stuff, but it's actually pretty profound stuff. You go first. Because when we have that attitude and we try to embed it in our life, it, Im- it eventually makes a very big difference. You go first. You're on the airplane. You land. <laughs> you taxi. And you're about to stop. 
and all around you, you hear the sound of the seatbelts unclicking. You're still rolling, but the seatbelts are unclicking, and people are leaning forward, and they're tense, waiting for the bell to ding so that they can jump up in the aisle and stand in a massive line, but they got ahead of that person across the aisle right beside them. So I'm going to get off the plane 10 seconds before that person, and I won. And people are kind of like Pavlov's dog on the plane, waiting for the bell to go off. God's yes might be just, you go first. You go first. The yes of assisting, it says in Galatians. Now Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, yes, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but not to use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Serve one another humbly in love. A few weeks ago, probably about three weeks ago, Debbie and I are in Park Place Mall, and we have something to eat in the food court. And if you've eaten in the food court there, uh, there's this little central location in the middle of the food court where when you're done eating, you're supposed to take your tray and set it on the counter, and someone comes and cleans the tray and sorts the stuff and does the recycling stuff and things like that. But we came up and there was a woman working there and we set our trays down in front of her and she flashes us this huge smile, like million dollar smile. And she starts to engage us in conversation. And we had a really nice talk with her, but all the time during the talk, she's smiling and she's talking with us but she's working the whole time. She didn't stop working to talk. She just kept working, but she'd look at us and she'd smile and we talked with her and she sorted our stuff. And when she was done, we all moved on. And Deb and I, as we're walking our way, we're commenting, we're saying, what a wonderful woman. This woman gets it all the way. Because too many people go to work with a no in their heart. And it was just incredibly life-giving to watch and interact with this woman who works with a yes in her heart. And we both said, you know, we're not hungry, but we want to go back and buy some more stuff just to chat with her and watch her clean our tray. What an incredible woman. There's something contagious about somebody who goes to work with a yes. This is why Paul says in another one of the letters, do you understand, he says, that when you work, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, when you work, you're actually working for God. You're actually working for God, no matter what you do. And when you do that, you make space in your life for God to work. The final one is the yes of God. And it's right back to the beginning where we began so that I can just remind you of this, because all of these other ideas flow back to and contribute to this great yes in life. And it's not because of the circumstances of our life. It's not because we're smart or rich or hardworking or young or untouched by cancer or some other tragedy in life. It's all because of God's promises being yes in Christ. All those 7,457 promises are yes in Christ. All of them illuminated by the teaching of Jesus and the word of God. All paid for by his trip to the cross when he gave up his life 
where he allowed his blood to be shed so that you and I could be forgiven. All guaranteed, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says this is a guarantee, ironclad guarantee that never is broken by God. All guaranteed after his body was placed in the grave. And three days later, when the stone was rolled away, he was resurrected. That's why we say yes to God and why he has said yes to us. This is why the Bible ends the way it does. Listen to how it ends. Last two verses of the book of Revelation, chapter 22. He who testifies to these things says, that's just a, a fancy way of saying, he who bears witness to all of these promises that actually Jesus did rise from the grave. He who testifies to these things says, Jesus says this now, yes, I am coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. At times we feel like, it doesn't seem so soon, you know, because life seems to be, it just seems to be taking forever. But bear in mind that our lifespan is like a blink in the mind of God. And so Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And then it says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen.